want to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The title of the message is Signs of a Maturing Faith. Kind of with the byline, we're going to do this morning a building inspection. The key to a healthy building, whether it be you as the building or the building you're creating that you're doing, you're ministering for God, the key to that, the key to a healthy building is the foundation. Perhaps you've seen pictures, I'm sure you have, of the Leaning Tower of Pisa in Italy. Scientists tell us it's going to fall. One of the things that amazes me is they travel yearly to measure the building's slow descent. They report that the 179-foot tower moves about one-twentieth of an inch a year and is now 17 feet out of plumb. Now, years ago, they estimated it was going to fall in 2007. That didn't happen. But every year, they get together and, and they discuss their findings and make more samples and analyze, and they meet in this restaurant that eventually the tower is going to destroy. <laughs> they can, maybe they need to find a new venue for their meeting. Now, during the 2000s, they've actually done a lot to the tower. In 2008, for instance, they removed 77 tons of ground, and engineers have now announced the tower has been stabilized so much that it has stopped moving for the first time in history. They stated that it would be stable for at least another 200 years. You look at the Leaning Tower of Pisa and you wonder, why does it lean? Well, perhaps you need to know that the word Pisa, it's not like something you put toppings on. P-I-S-A means marshy land. The foundation of the tower is only 10 feet deep. So the reason that this huge structure is moving and they've done everything they can to get it to finally stop is it doesn't have a good foundation. They built it on marshy land, and they didn't dig down deep enough to get to the bedrock where it will hold. Conversely, we see things in the United States like the Transamerica building in California that because of what they did to the foundation and they created this system of ball bearings, the top of that tower can move 27 feet in any direction. Why? Because they knew that buildings move in California. And so they made sure that they built accordingly. So listen, as we take that and transfer it to ourselves, what kind of building are you this morning? I want you to inspect with me your foundation. As we walk through this passage from the Apostle Paul I want you to inspect your foundation. Here's the problem. Whether it be a physical building, you can go out tomorrow and pour a concrete slab and stick a hundred-story building there. It's not going to last. The first time the wind blows, much less an earthquake or hurricane or tornado, the building's coming down because there's no foundation. Unfortunately for us, we can also kind of fake it at church. Where we show up, we know how to act, we know how to kind of dress ourselves up a little bit, and we know the right answers. When you get out of the car and somebody says, how are you doing, what do you say? Fine or good. Fine, I'm fine. And yet, perhaps, your week has been anything but fine. In fact, perhaps we're putting on this mask of everything being okay spiritually in our life, when the truth is the foundation's crumbling because it's not built on Jesus Christ. Let's start the passage. Just read along with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to just read the first five verses to get us started. Here's what Paul says. 
And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another says, I'm of Apollos, are you not mere men? I'll just give you some context. We're now into the third chapter of a letter written to the Corinthian church. Paul is primarily, and certainly in this passage, is addressing the Christians in the church. He's addressing church members. Paul had established this church. It's been about 18 months there from the very beginning. For the first year and a half, Paul was there as the leading pastor, teacher. Well, now he's gone, and the guy left behind apparently is a very good communicator of the message. His name is Apollos. Well, now Paul is in other places, and it's been nearly five years since this church has begun. And the good news is Paul at least addresses them as brethren. So Paul is acknowledging that they're believers. Paul is saying, listen, I'm not writing to you as unbelievers. I'm writing to you as believers. We've settled the fact that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Here's the problem. When I first came to you, I gave you milk. Well, that's what you give babies, right? We don't trot out a T-bone steak for a newborn child. What's going to happen with it? Nothing. Nothing. They can't eat it. They don't have any teeth yet. They're not even able to cut it, for crying out loud. You're going to have to start them off on milk. So Paul's not saying, I'm complaining about the fact that, you know, six years ago when the church was founded and you first came to faith in Christ, that I had to give you milk. That's understandable. You weren't ready to receive it back then. The problem is, now, five years later, you're still not ready for solid food. I don't know how many of you remember baby food. Anybody here remember? Like some of you, I've watched moms feeding babies, and they actually taste that stuff. And I don't know if you taste it because you think it tastes good, or you're just kind of making sure it's warm enough or cool enough or whatever. But, you know, we have baby food that has been pureed. And I don't understand why we have, like, strained peas with tapioca. I'm not even sure what tapioca is, but apparently if you put it in baby food, they'll eat it. All right? It's a type of pudding. Okay? And we give them cereal. Well, Captain Crunch would roll over on his ship if he saw the cereal that we're calling, what we're calling cereal, we're giving them mush. And if you've ever noticed a good mom, they put the spoon in the mouth and then kind of do this little thing so it kind of scrapes it off on the gum because there's no teeth there. Now, folks, that's all good. That's good. How many of you want that for lunch today? See, one of the worst things preachers can do is get you already thinking about food. <laughs> you know, we're all heading to Cracker Barrel after lunch, and I want some mush. No. Physically, we don't want to eat baby food anymore. Well, why is it spiritually, and the people Paul's writing to, he's saying basically, you haven't grown any since infancy. Now, I can take you out that door into the nursery, and there's infants in there. They're cute. Okay? They say funny things, the ones that can talk. The other ones, are you just hold them. And, you know, the people that work in nursery love that part. And they don't like it when they start crying and you don't know where mama is. But, you know, they love that part. But students, how crazy would it be for you to have to go to your church and pick your parents up out of the nursery? 
Wouldn't that be kind of crazy? Like, there's mom and dad fighting over the truck again, you know. Those are my building blocks. <laughs> and yet, spiritually, that's, what, that's what's happening in the church that Paul's writing to. Paul is saying, I couldn't speak to you even as spiritual men. You're still fleshly. Let me understand. Let me explain something to you. There's a difference between position and practice. Paul's already called them brethren. He's established the fact that they are believers. They're Christians. In fact, the neat thing about Paul calling them brethren is he identifies with them as a brother in Christ, not as the judge. But he's also encouraging them to grow up. So he's established the fact they're Christians. Well, that is who you are. That's what you are in position, okay? In position, these folks were Christians. In practice, they weren't acting much like it. In fact, they were acting like just immature Christians, infants. And Paul says, you're still fleshly. In fact, one of the biggest problems is there's jealousy and strife among you. Now, aren't we glad that that was a problem that existed in the first century and we've kind of gotten rid of that? We don't really have that in the church anymore, do we? Jealousy and strife? <laughs> well, of course we do. Preacher's being a little facetious this morning. The problem hadn't changed much. Why is that? If, you just, if you're taking notes, one word, four-letter word that you can write under jealousy and strife is this word, self. Self. That's where sin starts. We start by saying, I'm going to find meaning in life. I'm going to find happiness and joy and fulfillment in life somehow apart from God. That's sin. So Paul says, here's what I'm hearing about the church. There's jealousy and strife. Jealousy is an attitude. Strife is action. And it existed in the first century church. And Paul said, I'd love to write you a letter about some of the deep things of God. I can't yet. Because you still have to have it put in a blender. You haven't learned to feed yourself. You're still spiritually immature. What does jealousy look like in the church? Well, it looks like the same way anywhere else. Jealousy is basically saying, I don't like I, what you've got. You don't deserve it. I ought to have it. I'm jealous of the fact that you have that thing or you are that person. And so we're jealous. Begrudging someone and something that we wish was ours. Strife is the action then <laughs> that causes the quarrels and the wrangling. In fact, that's what the word strife means here. It means quarrel. It means wrangling. It means infighting, attacking others. Isn't it amazing to read stories sometimes that the police have to be called to church meetings? Now, I know that's never happened at your church, but I'm, I've heard it. I've heard about it from other churches. In fact, we had a church here at the chapel a few years ago. The, church, the, the students arrived on Monday, and I asked their youth pastor, I said, how have things been going? He said, well, we had to call the police last night. You had to call the police? He said, yeah, we had a fight. I said, what, like a couple of men started duking it out? He said, no, women. <laughs> I said, what happened? He said, a lady stood up in business meeting and started speaking about somebody. Another lady on the other side of the church stood up and said, you talking about me? And she said, yeah, big girl, I'm talking about you. And I thought, you know, it's kind of funny, but folks, that is sad that a church that is supposed to be a lighthouse in a community, that church had to call the police. Now, why does that kind of stuff happen? That kind of stuff happens because we come to church 
and it's all about me. It's all about what I like. It's all about what I want. And it's all about immature. See, it's one thing for two-year-olds to act like two-year-olds. But it's sad when teenagers and 20-year-olds and grown people act like two-year-olds. And one of the worst places I see it happen is in the church. Paul says, I'd love to write to you as spiritual men, but I can't because you're still fleshly. Here's the problem with your flesh. Let me teach you a deep theological word. It's the word justification. The day you come to Christ, you're justified. Justification takes place right then. What does it mean? I'm now placed in right standing with God. There's a future word called glorification. So justification takes care of the inner man. We still got a problem, though. We're still fleshly, right? In fact, Paul said in Ephesians, your flesh is still being corrupted. Still being corrupted. It don't get any better until you see Jesus. But when you finally see Jesus, it's glorification. The curse of the flesh is finally removed when we see Jesus face to face. The problem is there's a meantime, and that's called sanctification. That's where God takes you from becoming a Christian and begins to grow you to be more like Jesus. And Paul's saying, that's what I want more than anything for you. But it's not happening, folks, because you're just thinking about yourself. And folks, let me take that from 2,000 years ago into today. And I can't point a finger at anybody in here and say it's happening in your life. I'm just asking the question. When you inspect your foundation this morning, are you growing in Christ? I had a conversation with a young man just about two weeks ago on the telephone. And my last question was, are you walking with God? And he broke down in tears and said, no, I'm not. And we could talk about all the, all the symptoms that I was seeing in his life, but it boiled right down to it is the young man wasn't growing in Christ. Professing to be a Christian, but he'd stopped growing. Check your foundation this morning. Check your maturity. Are you growing in Christ? Here's the problem. If you're a Christian, hearing the truth, if you're a Christian and you're not living for God, hearing the truth about God that penetrates your heart will cause you to do one of two things. One, it will cause you to stop doing what you're doing, repent, turn back to God. Or it will cause you to try to obscure the light. It will cause you to run from God. And what I'm calling you to do this morning is run to God, not from God. Consider your maturity. Secondly is consider your perspective. Let me just read the next three verses. Because here's Paul continuing this theme. He had already talked about the fact that some of you people are dividing yourself over the fact that I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, some of you I'm of Peter, or they said Cephas, or I'm of Jesus. Paul said, you're just creating divisions. Now he's just narrowed it down to these two. Some of you are saying, I'm of Paul. Others, I'm of Apollos. Verse 5, what then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Listen to how he puts it in perspective. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then. Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Let me just share a couple stories about perspective. 
shoe manufacturer decided we're going to expand our territory. So he sent two salesmen into the Congo. First salesman cabled back, said, prospects here are nil. No one wears shoes. The other salesman cables back and reports enthusiastically, market potential terrific. Everybody's barefooted. Well, sometimes it really is about your perspective. It's about how do you look at things. When the children of Israel faced Goliath, the army looked at him and said, look how big he is. We could never kill him. David looked at him and thought, look how big he is. I can't miss. (laughs) Folks, listen, a lot of it is about your perspective. Are you under the circumstances and can't see it the way God does? Are you asking God, God, give me eyes to see this like it really is? Paul said, let me just set something straight. Who's Apollos? Well, who was Apollos? At that time, he was the pastor of the church and by reputation apparently doing a great job. The only problem is some some people would put him up on such a pedestal that they were dividing against the people who didn't put him on the pedestal. Some of you say you're of Paul. What is, who is Paul and Apollos? He says, in fact, back in verse 4, he says, aren't you still looking with human eyes? Aren't you just merely fleshly men looking at this situation? But let me put it in perspective for you, Paul says. What is Apollos? What is Paul? What are they? Servants. Servants. How do you like that word? You know what the word really means? It means table waiter. Basically what Paul is saying is, I'm just a bus boy. I'm just a table waiter. God is the cook. And I'm just trying to get the food to feed you And all I am is transferring it from the cook to the table. That's me. Paul said, listen, I planted, all right? I spread the seed. That's all I did. Apollos has come along, and since then, in the last four or five years, he's been watering the seed. But does the farmer cause the growth? No. Does the irrigator cause the growth? No. God does. So Paul is saying, listen, instead of making much of me, you need to make much of the glory of God. You know why we humanly create monuments to people? It's because all we know. To the human mind who has never come to faith in Jesus Christ, the highest thing on earth is themselves. So we create monuments to ourselves or to others. Paul is saying, listen, I'm just a servant. I'm just a table waiter. Not that there's anything wrong with table waiters, but Paul is saying, I'm not the one cooking the food. I'm not the one that even made the food. I'm just trying to get the food to you to eat. And right now I'm having to get it to you through a straw. Paul says, I want you to grow up. Consider your perspective. In fact, he goes on to say, you know what? The one who plants and the one who waters in anything, we're just servants of God, but it is God who causes the growth. And then last, consider your reward. Let me just read the end of the, toward the end of, towards verse 15. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, 
and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Paul says, listen, the one who plants, the one who waters really are one. We're working together, and we're going to each receive a reward. Literally, we're each going to get a hold of pay for services. There's a reward coming. And you say, well, what does that look like? I think some people have taught, and even some songs have kind of indicated it's going to be like, you know, I'm going to get a bigger mansion in heaven. There was a Southern Gospel song years ago that was something about, you know, just a, just a shack on the other side of glory. I think the attitude was, you know, God, it doesn't matter how big my mansion is just so I make it. And I can be, you know, stick me in the lower 40. And that's maybe a humble attitude. But, folks, I just don't believe heaven is going to be about us going around saying, look at my house. My house is bigger than yours. In fact, the only specific tangible thing I can find, well, two things. One are crowns. It does talk about four or five crowns in the New Testament. But all I see those being used for is to lay them at the feet of Jesus in worship. The other reward is this, to hear Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And one of the interesting things about this passage, Paul says you're going to receive a award according to your labor. It doesn't even say according to your success. You know what? There are men and women serving God that you've never heard their name. And yet their impact for the kingdom of God has, has been huge. You'll get to meet them in heaven someday. There's other people that have huge names. But I wonder sometimes if they've really been faithful stewards and servants of what God's entrusted to them. Paul says each one is going to receive a award according to his own laborer. Excuse me, according to his own labor. But then he puts it in his perspective again, this thought about rewards. We are God's fellow workers. What does that mean? It means this. If you want to be assured of reward, then make sure you're doing what God's called you to do. Henry Blackaby wrote a book called Experiencing God, and he said the right question is not what is God's will for my life. The right question is what is God's will? And then order your life in such a way that you're in God's will. Is that what you're doing? As you examine your life this morning, you look at the foundation that's laid. It can only be Jesus. Now, churches will try to put other foundations down. Some it's tradition. This church is dying. We're, you know, we're only down to like a handful of people coming. But we have upheld the traditions. Well, bless your heart. Other churches, it's sports. There's some churches, the biggest thing going on is a trophy case from the men's softball team. Now, is God against softball? Probably not. But if it's become the foundation of the church, he's against it. And it will crumble. The foundation's also not the pastor. It is sad to watch what happens in some churches that grow to running a thousand or more on Sunday morning. The pastor leaves, the church dies. Why? The reason it died was the foundation was the pastor. The only foundation that will last 
is a foundation that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The one, Jesus Christ. And so I ask you to check your foundation. One, go back and check the foundation of your church. Now, I'm not asking you to go find the cornerstone and ask what, you know, how big they did, deep they dug. But is the foundation Jesus? And then, folks, look personally at your life. Is what's being built up within you, is at the bottom of that, is the foundation that everything else builds upon, is it truly Jesus? Because for this church, it wasn't. The church in Corinth, Paul had laid a foundation, but you know where they were trying to build? They were trying to build on themselves. And the reason they were jealous is because they didn't feel like they were getting theirs. And they were jealous that somebody else was. And so it caused fights and quarrels and conflict. Consider your reward. Paul said, I laid a foundation as a a master builder. Another's building on it now. That guy's name is Apollos as far as 1 Corinthians was concerned, the Corinthian church. Paul said, listen, I just planted. He's watering, and that's a good thing because I planted on the foundation of Jesus, and he's watering on the foundation of Jesus, so I know that kind of foundation will last. But then he mentions building materials. He said, look personally at your life. If you're building with gold, silver, and precious stones, or are you building with wood, hay, or straw? Here's something interesting to note. Both of them were building. Both of them were doing something. In fact, one of the things I ask people when they say to me, man, I'm just worn out. I'm burned out serving God. The question is, what have you been building with? But I promise you, if, you've ta- if Jesus is in the foundation, then you're doing it on your own strength, and you will burn out. And Paul says the quality will be tested. How's it going to be tested? It's going to be tested with fire. When, gold, when fire hits gold, silver, and precious stones, it makes it more valuable. When fire hits wood, hay, or straw, it consumes it. Nothing is left. And notice again, he says the quality of the work, not the quantity. I've had people ask me. One time I was playing golf, and, and two guys that were paired up with us, he said, well, you're from here. He said, where is the best seafood buffet in Myrtle Beach? I said, let me ask you, what are you looking for, quantity or quality? Because if you're looking for quality, I recommend you go somewhere other than a buffet. If you're looking for quantity, if you just want to get to the end of the buffet and say, we ain't leaving till we're heaving, then I can send you to some places that will accomplish that for you. And some people, they don't care about quality. Just give me quantity. I want 120 items. You couldn't possibly eat 120 items. What difference does it make if they got 120 items? I think there's one that has 150 items. I had never, I didn't even know what the acrostic A-Y-C-E meant until I moved down here. Y'all seen that? All you can eat. $4.99. You know what I mean, it's just like, I'm telling you, after about the first mouthful or two, you've had all you can eat. You had all you should eat anyway. So listen, spiritually, what are we looking, if we're doing something for God, are we about quality or quantity? But I can tell you what God's about, He's about quality. You take care of the depth, let God worry about the breadth. You worry about the quality. God, am I doing what you've called me to do? Then let God deal with the results and the quantity. When I have a young person come to me and say, I think God's called me into ministry, one of my first responses is, if you can do anything else, do it. Why? Because the ministry's hard. 
But you know what? If you're a Christian, all of you are called to ministry. I know what people are saying when they say, I think God's calling me to ministry. They, they mean vocational ministry. They mean I'm going to go and prepare and I'm going to make my living from the ministry. Whether that be preaching or music or missions or education or discipleship or youth, whatever. Children's ministry, whatever. But listen to me carefully. You're all called to ministry. If you're a child of God, He's got something for you to do. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And He's interested in quality, not quantity. He's interested in your labor, not results. He wants you to be faithful to what He's called you to. So listen to me. Any ministry that God's called you to is the highest calling that you could possibly pursue. Don't be jealous of somebody else's ministry. Don't be jealous of somebody else's results. Come back to God on a regular basis and ask this question. God, am I doing what you call me to do? Because sometimes the sailing is easy and sometimes it's hard. And if you're not convinced that you're doing what God's called you to do, when the going gets tough, you know what you do? You quit. You give up or you complain. Consider your reward. He says, you know, if you've built with something that remains, you receive reward. If it's burned up, I love the literal meaning. That's one word, burned up. It literally means burned to the ground. So I've never understood that. When something catches on fire, does it burn up or burn down? I guess it's both. It burns up until it finally burns down. The, you know, the flame kind of creeps up the building until finally there's nothing left. comes crashing down. But if what you have spent your entire life doing is not what God called you to, the materials you've been using were wood, hay, and straw, then the day you face Jesus and is tested by fire, there's nothing to show for it. Now he does say, he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Folks, I just don't want to enter into the kingdom with my britches scorching. Okay? This isn't about salvation or not. This is about what you have done with your salvation. So how do we apply that then this morning? Listen, my encouragement for you is this. Check your foundation. Ask God regularly, God, am I doing what you call me to do? If so, then keep going. If not, make a change. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, I pray for men and women in this place. God, most of them would acknowledge, yes, I've trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And God, I pray for anybody here that has never made that sacrifice, surrender to you, that they have said, yes, Lord, I need a Savior. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner separated from God, and I can't save myself. God, if there's somebody like that in this place this morning, God, I pray today would be the day of their salvation, that they would come to faith in you. God, like the people Paul was writing to, most of the people in here would claim faith in Christ. And Lord, help us check our foundation. God, would you just give us regular times of saying, God, am I a part of the jealousy and strife that goes on? Am I jealous? Am I, am I creating conflict? Or God, are you using me to build a kingdom, not tear it down.
God, I confess, I, I don't understand totally the reward thing. Because frankly, it will be enough to look into the eyes of my Savior and hear, well done. That's enough. Well done. God, if that's what we want to hear on that day, help us to order our lives today so that that will be true about us. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing a closing.